am really, really glad that you're here today, and I, I'm super excited as we start this new series. Um, as I was growing up, I really loved going fishing with my dad, and we only we went less than a dozen times, I know, but when we did, I loved it so much. I, 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 I could stay out there all day. I usually didn't catch anything hardly, but it's just that hope that I think maybe that ne next little spot over here, maybe that's where the fish is. And I, I could spend there all day, even if nothing was biting, just thinking maybe that's going to happen. Obviously, I did not become a professional fisherman. <laughs> but, you know, I did love watching it on TV. I loved what they made it look so easy. I mean, it was a big fish every time. And it seemed like it was almost every time they put the line in the water, they were getting something. They, it, it just made it look so big. But professional fishing never happened for me. But here's the point. I could call myself a fisherman because I did. I, I loved to fish. I, I, I had watched it on TV. I knew some of the language. But that doesn't make me a fisherman, right? It doesn't because that's just a label. And I would say so many people who wear that label of fisherman aren't really like professional fishermen, right? I mean, it doesn't describe what they do all the time, right? I mean, we can have a boat, we can have some gear, we can have knowledge, but that doesn't make us a real fisherman, like, you know, a commercial fisherman, right? Even though there's a lot of people who would claim that of themselves, and, and not as a commercial fisherman, just that label of fisherman, but it really would describe maybe an every so often experience, right, for most of us. So really, it's kind of a label that we can pretty easily and justifiably give ourselves. Fishermen. Fishermen. It's not really a description of who we are, right? Uh, somewhere along the line of this whole church world, a similar thing happened to places like this and to people like us. Religion, at some point in our history, deep history, religion took over the gospel. And as a result, Religion kind of pushed or kicked out what we would call a relationship. And instead of that, everything has been built upon a religion instead of a relationship. So a religion has stuck us with a label. The label is called Christian. And that label has confused, I would say, a good part of North America. Much of the world is kind of confused about this label called Christian because the label is kind of misleading. It's not really straightforward. We have turned the gospel of Jesus Christ into something. It's, it's like this now. Here, you can put on this label. You can put this on. If you identify with these people who are calling themselves Christian, then you can go and learn about that, and, and you can want that for yourself, and they can say to you, here is your label. You can join us now as a Christian. You are now saved. But here's the problem I have with that. Nowhere in the Bible does Jesus ever say, you become 
a Christian. In fact, Jesus doesn't even use that word. He doesn't even allude to that word. He doesn't even hint at that word Christian. When Jesus was around, that wasn't even a word. The word Christian shows up only three times in the New Covenant, and only twice, I mean, I'm sorry, only once of those three times does it show up describing somebody who had actually entrusted their lives to the care and the control of Jesus. And yet, we have that word, and it has become a significant word in our world. And with this one word, we have segmented all of earth into two categories, Christian or not Christian. We have said here, you can take this word and you can apply it to yourself and voila, you are now one. You are a Christian as well. But he never said that. Jesus never said that. And this is where we're going with this series. While Jesus never said, hey, I want you to become a Christian, he did say something very, very significant, something else which was much, much more clear. And Jesus said this a lot. In fact, what we're going to tell you, he said 22 times he is quoted as saying this. And here's what he said. He said, follow me. 22 times he said that. Have you ever asked somebody a question similar to this? Have you ever said, so when are you going to become a Christian? I mean, I've asked that. I mean, I was in student ministry for 17 years before I started um, planting churches in 2005. So I said that a lot, a phrase like that. When are you going to become a Christian? Have you decided to become a Christian? I've asked that. But really, that question's kind of misleading. It's misleading because it makes the whole thing sound like it all starts with you, which is really fundamentally flawed. It makes it sound like you get to decide when you want to take this label anytime you want, which makes it all within my control, which means it all starts with me. But that is a fundamentally flawed statement because it's all about the wrong me. See, none of this started with you. It never has, it never does, and it never will. Me neither. In America, we really seem to have this whole thing wrong. We have the wrong me. So who is this me? Who is the right me? If me isn't the me, because from the beginning, this is all about the me. You're not confused yet, are you? (laughs) There's a lot of me's in there. 22 times we find in the biographies that were written about Jesus, the gospels, 22 times we find Jesus saying, follow me. We're going to look at one of those this morning. Mark chapter 1, verse 17, Jesus said, follow me, Jesus told them. He said, follow me. So right from the very top, we need to answer this question, who is the me that we're supposed to be following? 
the me. The only me. That's what matters. And it's Jesus. It's his invitation, not ours. It's, it all starts with him, with Jesus, not with us. And we're going to unpack that this morning. That is such an important concept for us to understand as part of the foundation for us following Jesus. We need to understand this me that Jesus is talking about. So we're going to unpack that. Paul helped us do it um, from the very beginning of his letter to the church of Ephesus. And I want to read, we're going to go through a uh, nice section, a nice portion of this letter that Paul wrote to Ephesus this morning. We're going to read some of this. We're going to start with the very beginning. Ephesus, uh, I'm sorry, Ephesians, written to Ephesus, Ephesians 1, verse 1. Paul writes, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. I wish I could unpack that. We do in 42 days of Jesus. So I'm writing to God's holy people. We unpack that too. In Ephesus, who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. So even Paul is saying, no, there's something here about following. That is a big key to this faithful followers of Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. Verse 2, may God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. All praise to God the Father, uh, of our, God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. So now, this is important, we are united with Christ. So how did I become a we? How did you become a we with Christ if you are indeed united with Christ? And here's how we get united with Christ. This is so important. Was it randomly decided just on a whim? Did it all start with me and my decision to say, yes, I want to become a follower of Christ? Is that where it started? Um, which then, if it is any of those two, makes it according to my table when I decide? Is that the key? When I decide on my table, am I in control of this whole thing? And I know all of those are rhetorical questions because we have already stated None of this starts with me. None of this starts with you. It all started with Jesus. And here's what Paul says about that in verse 4. Even before he made the world, so before there was a me, before there was a you, before there was a Harley, before there was a Cole, he says, God loved us before we were ever on the scene before God created the world, before he created anyone upon this world, he already loved us. He caused something to happen for us because he loved us. Now, this is so amazing. Look where Paul goes now. God loved us, and listen, he said, and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. His great love for you, his great love for me compelled 
God to choose us. And yet, listen to this, before creation, God already knew that we were going to blow it, that we were going to sin, that we were going to break creation. He already knew that we were going to take our holiness at creation and discard it, get rid of it because of our sin. So he chose a way in advance before creation, before we discarded that holiness, he chose a way to make us holy again. And this was his plan from the very, very beginning. It was always his plan before he created, before there was ever an us or a you or a me. And in verse five, Paul goes on, God decided in advance to adopt, to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ Jesus, through Jesus Christ. It was his choice. It was his solution and the solution was adoption. What a beautiful, amazing way to describe what God has done for us. Paul chose this word very specifically. For a moment, let's consider how perfect that description is, the description of adoption. You know, with adoption, it all starts with the parent, the adopting parent. It doesn't begin with the child. It all starts with the decision of a parent. This adoption with Jesus, Jesus being the adopting parent, God the Father being the adopting parent, who the one who is going to adopt, it all started with his decision. He made the choice. And this is the one way that we can get back into God's family. And it's almost as if God is saying, okay, yeah, they're going to blow it. So let me think, how am I going to get them back into my family after they leave my family, after they run away from my family, after they discard my family? How can I get them back in? And this was his way. Why? He goes on, because this is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Now, listen, this blows my mind. This is amazing. Knowing what it was going to cost himself, Jesus said, this still brought me great pleasure. Knowing the pain and the agony and the frustration and, and the torture I was going to go through, Knowing that was coming, it still brought me great pleasure. And now our response in verse 6, so we praise God for the glorious grace that he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. Verse 7, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom. By his grace, he purchased our freedom before we ever even knew that we were enslaved. Before you ever even knew of your situation, God planned and carried out the purchase of your freedom. And how did he do it? Paul tells us clearly, with the blood of his son. And he forgave our sins. 
So planned from the very beginning of time, it is Jesus and his blood that allowed your sins to be forgiven, that allowed my sins to be forgiven. It is his blood that started all the adoption paperwork, and it culminated in your adoption into the family of God if you have been adopted into the family of God. There's actually a fancy word that we use, kind of a church word to describe this, and the word is justification. Justification basically means that God declares a being, a person that was sinful, to now be righteous without sin. He declares something that was sinful to have no sin any longer. And even justification began with him. It didn't begin with me. It is not about me. And justification is followed by another really fancy church word, and this word is sanctification. Now, we talked about this back in August. Sanctification is the ongoing process of God's Spirit changing our thinking, renewing our minds, so that our lives can look more like the life of Jesus as we live this life. And guess what? Sanctification also all started with him, not me. In fact, Paul continues in his writing in verse 8. He has showed his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. And in a nutshell, that is the process of sanctification. And it's all about him, not about me. It's not about me trying harder doing better. It's not about me creating a list that says I'm going to serve God better. No, no, no. Paul says he has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. It all starts with him. Now, sometimes we reference a phrase, um, and that phrase is a word, really. Let me just use a word. It's journey, journey. And what Paul is communicating here, um, this is happening as you journey, live your life of following Jesus. And if that's what you're doing, then this is certainly happening. Life change is taking place, always. If you're actually journeying with Jesus, life change is always taking place. He's going to uh, take the way you think, and it's going to change. The way you act, that changes. The way you react to people, that changes. The choices you make, they're all changing. As your life is happening, following Jesus, life change happens, and that is a picture of sanctification. And once again, once again, Paul is painting a beautiful picture saying all of this change starts with him, with God. Because as Paul described, he has showered us with his kindness, with his wisdom, with his understanding. And none of that stuff came from me. It didn't come from my decision. It all started with him, and it come and it continues in my life because of his spirit living within me, and if you're a follower of Jesus within you. 
The point is this. I think we might need a change of thinking. Because for far too long, following Jesus has been focused on the wrong me. And Jesus said, follow me. So if Jesus said, follow me, we better get the me right. Let's go back to Paul. Ephesians now, we're in verse 9. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. That's all him, not me. Verse 10. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring, not me, he will bring everything under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Verse 11. Furthermore, because we, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. Again, this inheritance is also from him. It's not me. And it's only available. An inheritance is only available to someone who's in the family. And in this case, if you have been adopted into the family of God because of what Jesus did for you, then he is including you in this inheritance. You have been adopted in with full inheritance. For he chose us in advance. Again, this is all his work, not me. And he makes everything work out according to his plan. Verse 12, God's purpose was that we Jews, this is Paul talking, Paul was Jewish, and so now Paul is speaking of him and his fellow uh, race of Jews. God's purpose is that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would be, bring praise and glory to God. And now, though, he says, because remember, he's speaking to the church in Ephesus, which was mostly Gentiles, non-Jews, he said, and now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed, ah, here we go, of everything we have talked about so far, this is really the first time that we have something to do. Up until this point, it has all been God and his planning and his action and what he's doing. And now here is the first thing for you to do. And when we believed in Christ, he identified you Gentiles, you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit. Now, if you have been adopted into the family of God, Paul says, you have been given God's spirit. Now, this might sound like that starts with us too. But alas, no, no, no. His spirit, who Paul says, whom he promised long ago. Not even that begins with me. Not even that begins with really my decision that was promised long ago, that was part of his plan long ago. That too was initiated by God himself. And then 
here's this best part, in my opinion, this best part. Paul writes why this promised Holy Spirit is so important. And by the way, we're going to be teaching this specifically in more detail in week number three and week number four of this series. And I want you to know, you will want to be here for that. Paul tells us why, and here it is, because the Spirit is God's guarantee. That means the Spirit is how you know you've really been adopted. The Spirit is how you can be sure that you're going to get in on what He has promised. And again, we're going to be talking a whole lot about that on week three and four. And I'm just going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say, when we get there, a lot of us are going to be shocked at what we discover on that week. It's going to be a good, good two weeks. I hope you'll be there. Let's go back to Paul. The Spirit is God's guarantee that we will that he will give us the inheritance. There it is again. There it is. It's just over and over again. It's not us. It's him. And only his children, only the people adopted into his family are going to be in on this, are going to get this. That's the only ones who will get in on this inheritance. The inheritance he promised and he has purchased Uh, us to be his own people. That's the adoption right there. But why? Why did God do this? Why me? We touched on this last month. Paul goes on. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Friends, even our salvation, our justification, our sanctification is not really about us. It all starts with him. It's about him. It's not about us. It ends with him. It begins with him, continues with him. It ends with him, and it is all about his glory. It's not really about me. This week, what we're talking about is pretty simple. We're just trying to help get our minds and our thinking right about the right me. It's not this me. It's the Jesus me. Paul goes on, verse 15. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, remember Paul's writing um, about these Ephesians. He says, I have never, I have not stopped thanking God for you. And I pray for you constantly, verse 17, asking God, the glorious Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, to give you, here's what he wants God to give them, spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. And again, that is sanctification. That's that process of him changing you. This is growth. And everything about following Jesus is about life change. This is what is happening 
as our faith endures. It's as if Paul is saying, hey, Ephesians, listen, you have gotten a really great start. I like how you left the starting gates, but now make sure you keep following the right me. Verse 18, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he's given to those he has called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. All of this, again, listen, it's all his. It's all about him. It starts with him. Verse 19, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for uh, us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now, he is far above any ruler, authority, or power, or leader, anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is also all about him. It's not about me. It's not about you. It doesn't start with me. It doesn't start with you. Even the church is all about him. Verse 23, and the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. For all, all too many years, maybe most of our lives, and for deep into our roots of the history of Christendom, we have been stuck focusing on the wrong me. None of this is about you, and none of this is about me. Think about it. Not once in probably all of history, I have not studied all of history yet, but I'm assuming not once in all of history has anyone ever anywhere said, you know what I need? I need a sacrifice for my sins so that I can be made right in God's eyes. Look, if it were up to me, I would just send myself to death. If I were in charge, I would just keep right on doing what I want, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. And so would you. Meaning that I have to have even God's help to even see that I need God. Because without him, I would be caught up into what I want and how I want to live with zero concern about God's truth and what that says about me. But the moment that God's Spirit helps me see that I do, in fact, need Him, then I have to deal with that. I have something now that I have to deal with. And I just want to say that possibly one of the most vicious and one of the most effective lies of the evil one and what he pulls out of his toolbox with so many people, this is not going to be a mystery to you when I say it. The lie is this, that you can come to Jesus whenever you want to. 
whenever you decide to. It means whenever I decide that living my life my way is no longer fun, whenever all the consequences of me living my life my way have caught up with me and my life begins to fall apart, and I can then at that point say, oh, yes, now it's time to turn to Jesus. Now I'm ready to take all of my consequences and say, Jesus, please, here they are. Will you take them away? Will you take away all those horrible decisions and horrible habits that I now have? All those things, take them away. It's that break glass in case of emergency. I've been hanging on to it, and now I need it, so I'm going to break the glass, and I'm going to decide, yes, now's the time. I want you to know the evil one wants you to believe that to be true. He wants you to believe that you get to decide. He wants you to believe that you can wait and wait and wait until it's not fun any longer. Until living this life is no longer convenient. And it's at that point and this is so important. This is so important. There is tension in this next statement. If it all starts with him, with Jesus, if it really does all start with him, everything we've just read that Paul wrote, if it really, if that's true, and it really does start with him, then just perhaps we can only come to him when he calls. And oh, I'm so glad the Bible tells us he calls. We can look at John 6, 44, and we can look at John 6, 65, and we see God drawing. Not only do we see him drawing in those moments as well, we see God dragging us to Jesus. But I believe the truth is this, that we come to him when he initiates it. We come to him when he says, follow me. And only then. When he says, follow me, is it my turn for a response? Which is either to believe in, rely on, trust in, cling to Jesus, or reject him. Now, I just happen to believe that we all are promised to call. We find in 1 John 2 2, he says, He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. Jesus said himself, you know this, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And listen, if we take God's word at just its face value, which I believe we have to, I believe he offers you a call. Now, in this letter to Rome, Paul tells us, that we're without excuse. 
We're without excuse. God has made himself known to the world. We're without excuse. I believe the scripture tells us that God is going to call and he's going to point to the saving work of Jesus on the cross at some point in your life. But we are not promised either how many times he will call you. And it may be that we're just not promised how long our hearts will be able to hear his call. Because this is not according to my table, not according to the moment that is more convenient for me to decide, okay, now I'm ready to follow Jesus. So please be very, very mindful. Are you listening to the wrong me? Because when Jesus says to your heart, you're not going to hear it audibly, when you feel the tug of your heart of Jesus saying, follow me. That is the time to respond. Because I don't know if or when you'll have another opportunity, and I don't know if or when you will, your heart will hear another opportunity. Now, I want to be clear. We can argue until we are blue in the face, and I promise you that's what would happen. We can argue about Limited atonement versus unlimited atonement until we die. And here's what I believe will happen. If we do that, if we argue about limited atonement versus unlimited atonement, I believe one day we will stand at the feet of Jesus and he will say, you weren't talking about me. You were arguing about what you thought, about your theology. listen, if our theology is about us, it's not about the me. While we can discuss that forever, I want you to know this. I believe we can say without any doubt, without any confusion, with all clarity, we can say this. If you hear him calling you and tugging at your heart saying, follow me, then I think we can say, now is the time to respond. Now is the time you can respond because he initiated. And this morning, I just simply want to say, if you hear him tugging at your heart, if you feel that, now is the time. If you don't feel him tugging at your heart, we don't have anything to talk about. This month, this year, this lifetime, let's focus on the right me. Let's focus on the one who actually said, follow me. So what's your response? This is always a significant question. But I can't help but think that on this morning, it might be more significant. Do you feel God tugging at your heart right now saying, follow me, follow me? And if you can feel that, then I say right now is the moment to respond because he has initiated it and you can respond. I've got two simple verses that Dustin's going to place on the screen. I want you to read this. Here's the first one, Romans 5, 8. 
But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. I'm going to pause here for a moment while that's on the screen. I want you to know this has been God's plan A all along. He knew that we would blow it, and he knew that you would blow it, and he was right on both accounts. He knew I would blow it. He was right on all three, but he had this plan in place. This was his plan, and he showed us that great love knowing we were going to come onto this earth, and we were going to thumb our nose at God, and we were going to choose our way over his way, and he died for us anyway because he knew that's the only way we could ever connect with him eternally, and that was his plan, and there it is. While we were still sinning, that was his plan. And how do we get in on his plan? Look at this next verse. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, let me tell you what this means. This is not lip service. This is not us just deciding, hey, you know, um, yeah, I agree that Jesus did all these things. No, no. This is for you and your life declaring. It means I, I, I take a stand here now and I let you know. And in fact, some translations say when we use our words, our mouth to declare this. And for us, that's what baptism is all about. It is declaring to the world. I am declaring that Jesus is my Lord. I'm submitting my life to him. That's what I'm declaring, my life to Jesus. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, which means you're saying, I submit this life to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This life belonged to me, but I'm declaring right now, and I mean it, that my life now belongs to Jesus. I was my boss. He is now my boss. I was my own Lord doing what I wanted, when I wanted, the way I wanted, but I declare at this moment, Jesus is my Lord. Is that what you're declaring? If you feel him calling, saying, come and follow me, I want you to know how at this moment, right now, where you are sitting, and if you're listening at home online, right now, you declare, if you mean it, you declare, Jesus, you are my Lord, my boss, my master, everything about this life, Jesus, I submit to you. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, if, if you don't believe that God raised him from the dead, we don't have a savior. We have a martyr and a martyr can't save you. If you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead by God, and you declare with your mouth that he is your Lord, that he is your Savior. And it's not a label. When we say, I, I declare you as my Lord, we're saying, I am submitting this life to you, you God, now, you Jesus, now as my master. I'm following you. And I, I, I can't say it enough. If you feel him calling your heart right now, 
Now is the time to respond because this is not on your timetable. It's on his. And once you are eternally connected to God through Jesus Christ, the rest of your life is following him. The rest of your life is getting close to him. The rest of your life is getting to know him, the me who said, follow me. Remember what we talked about in the last series as a branch connected to the vine? You are now drawing your life from that vine. And this is why through this entire series, we launched it last week, we are just begging you, will you join us in this 42 days with Jesus? We created this for you. No, it's not perfect. It's not great. But if we just simply focus on what God wants to teach us in his scripture, that's what's great. He does the great things. I want you to know if he's calling you today, today is the day you need to respond. And if you've already responded, then I just simply say, follow him as closely as you can. And oh, I do pray that you'll join us on this 42 days with Jesus. If you have any trouble with that at all, please let me know or let someone who knows how to get a hold of me. I already told you my email address. Thank you, Jeremy, harleypetty at gmail.com. I want to help you. If you're having trouble getting into that resource, let me know. I'll help you out. I will answer that personally. Just let me know. I'm going to ask one more thing. If this morning, for the first time, you just declared that Jesus is your Lord and Master, first, I want to say welcome to the family. He just adopted you. You just took all those adoption papers that he had prepared, and Jesus put his name on them, and he said, you're in. And if you did that, I want to know, will you just put it on your connection card? If you don't know how to get to the connection card, either the paper version and let us know, give us your, your name, make sure, I want to know who you are. I want to know how to get a hold of you. Make sure we know how. If you do or do the online version, and if you don't know how to do any of that, just remember my email address, Harley Petty, nothing, just straight, harleypetty at gmail.com. Let me know. I want to encourage you, but right now, I want to pray for you before we join in and we sing about the glory of Jesus, our Savior. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. I am so very thankful. So very thankful. That I heard your voice, I heard you tugging at my heart, and I responded. 
and everything that has happened in my life related to you, God. It's your plan. It's your calling. It's your tugging. All I had to do was respond. And God, I pray that if anyone here this morning responded, that they will declare with their mouth. And this morning, that they will declare with their pen or their connection card. Let us know that you are now their Lord. And God, I just pray in the days to come, as they follow you in baptism, when that happens, when they submit, that we as a church will be celebrating with them. Jesus, thank you that all this glorifies you, not me. All this is about you, not me. And when we hear you call, may we submit. In the name of Jesus, I ask these things. Amen.